Despite local politics literally concerning the matters closest to us, the bureaucracy involved and lack of consistency can all too often feel distant and alienating. I'm Connor McLaughlin. And I'm Shasha Aidy. And we're two of the local reporters bringing you Southwest Londoners Local Matters podcast, where we hope to combat some of this confusion by unpacking the issues that affect you and your borough. In this episode, we'll be investigating what happens to the rubbish we diligently separate and put out for collection, and why in some boroughs you'll recycle more items than in others, despite it all being part of the same city. This is a particularly hot topic in London, as we have the worst overall recycling rate in the UK at 33%, which is 10% below the UK national average. The burden of recycling is often placed on the consumer, but is this fair? Who's really responsible, and are London councils doing their bit? To explain how London's complex recycling system works, one of our local reporters, Ella Sagar, spoke to John Long, an education officer at Western Riverside Waste Authority. So if we can just get started at, you know, what is the Western Riverside Waste Authority and what does it do? So uh, the Western Riverside Waste Authority is that they're a waste authority covering four London boroughs. So they cover Wandsworth, Lambeth, Kensington and Chelsea and Hamilton and Fulham. And their job is they receive the household waste and recycling from those four boroughs. And it's their job to make sure it gets all sorted and make sure it goes all to the right places, basically. The waste industry, because of the nature of it, obviously, if you come see our tip, it's a bit smelly and not very unglamorous. So it's kept behind closed doors. And as a result, children view the bin as a kind of a magic black hole where you just put something, it disappears into the ether. And so it's good to, to, to see for themselves and, and, and for the adults as well, because I didn't know before I got the job as well. You don't often see it firsthand where it does go and how much of it because when you see a big pit of 300 tons of recycling that's all been collected in one day you do realize that even if it's being recycled or not that's still too much packaging mm-hmm. to go through daily yeah absolutely so i mean it's interesting what you said that it's an abstract thing you know you put it in the bin you take the bins out and you forget about it and it's all someone else is handling it and it's not something that i have to worry about anymore and so you don't realize how much you throw away in a week or in a year yeah. because it's just out of sight out of mind is that probably the main issue that people don't really realize how much they're throwing away I think that's it and I think exactly that phrase as you said out of sight out of mind and we all do it so it's really good to see firsthand and where it all goes first of all it's good to see I think because people do sort things sometimes people think oh is this is this going to I'm spending a lot of effort making sure this goes to the right place I hope it's going to good use so it's good also for residents to see firsthand that there is a lot of effort being taken it's not in vain, you know, that uh, we have to throw away some things because some people give us the wrong things, but very little actually, you know, something like 87% of what is given to us is recycled. It's the right stuff. And that's getting better and better as time goes on. So there, lots of effort has been made from the collection to the sorting to then finding a buyer for it who can reprocess it, checking out that buyer to make sure they're reputable and using it responsibly. But the other flip side of that is seeing how much effort is being made. And actually recycling is a huge industry and a lot of energy from the lorries to the sorting machines to shipping it to the next place and then reprocessing it is very energy intensive. So the pulping, the amount of water being used, the amount of energy smelting metal. So it's better than general waste, but it's still very energy intensive. And I think we need to stop viewing recycling as a kind of magic solution. So what we don't do with the kids is go and say, if we all recycle, we'll be okay. We make sure we talk about First and foremost, we just need to reduce. And actually, the pressure is not on the individual there. I'm not going into the kids and saying, we need to reduce our waste at home because 
we're taking the pressure away from the individual. Mm. We can't change the behaviors of billions of people in this system when there is an inconvenient option there for everyone to take that is very wasteful. We need to put pressure on retailers and governments to make laws and taxation changes to make that happen. So a lot of what we're doing is letting them know about the system, but also tell them about the exciting changes that are going to happen because the packaging system is very soon going to be completely different for these kids when they become adults. So from, let's say, step by step from us like throwing away a plastic bottle where I live in Ballum, which is Wandsworth Council, what happens then to that plastic bottle? So what would happen is you squash it, you put the lid on, you'll get taken into the lorry, taken to Smuggler's Way, where I work in Wandsworth, probably. Um, that's our biggest site. And that will go through what they call a MRF, Materials Recycling Facility. That's a series of sorting machines. And there's loads, um, also a lot of people as well. The people are there to take away the wrong thing, basically. There's quite a lot of people give us toasters and, and, and a lot of full jars of Dormio that need to be removed. The odd deactivated hand grenade that gives us a heart attack, but there you go. And then, um, but, so those things are being removed and then it goes to the sorting machines and those each different machine for different materials and magnets for the ferrous metals and eddy current separators from the non-ferrous. And, and then for the plastics, it's optical sorters. So depending on the color, it will be sorted and they know from the color roughly what type it will be. So if it's cloudy and it's probably a milk bottle, that means it's HDPE plastic and that goes there. If it's clear, it's probably PET. And, and that's why we don't like Lucasade bottles, because they're clear PET bottles, but they put an orange shrink sleeve wrap, which makes them look like higher quality. They're just, uh, it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of thing. Um, so what we're trying to do, that will then get sorted, depending on the type of bottle, it will go into its different pile. That will get squished into a bale, so it end up looking like a bale of hay, but of um, lots of the plastic bottles. And then they would go on to one of our reprocessors. So there's one in Hartlepool, I think there's one in Lincolnshire and other places. It might go overseas, but it will stay within the EU. Probably the Netherlands is the main place, or France or Spain. On our website, actually, there's a good map which shows you where each different item goes. So if you go to wrwa.gov.uk, there's a page called Where Does My Recycling Go? And it's a good little graphic which will give that an indication. So that's the kind of journey it will go on. Now, the problem with plastic is that's, that's, that is one heck of a journey and plastic can't be reprocessed infinitely. So it can only be reprocessed two, maybe three times. You often have to add virgin plastic to it. So it's not the best for reprocessing plastic. Plastic's very good for reuse. And so what we're gonna see is much more systems about reuse. Also, what we're gonna start seeing is that as companies are more responsible for their waste, more bottle deposit systems. So they'll want to take their own packaging back. So systems that, like they actually have in Canada, I think, and they have them in Germany as well, where you take your bottle, you know, glass bottles back to the shop, you get a, your deposit back on them. And it's great because that has a good effect on litter as well, because uh, you leave a bottle in the park, some kids will come and grab it for their pocket money. And, it, you know, it has this effect. It starts to put the value back on waste because we, we tie so much value to financial value in our minds that that seems to be the only way to prove people that this is worth something. Because plastic is incredibly valuable as a resource, but we view it as cheap. It's Plastic is a synonym for cheap, isn't it? And nasty. But plastic is, as someone put it, I talked to a guy from uh, Sheffield who's a, uh, a polymer um, scientist and he called it buried sunshine. That's what he refers to it as. And we've got to remember that. That's carbon from millions of years ago that has been processed, photosynthesis, become a carbohydrate, become buried. Geology and that millions of years have turned it into oil, gas or coal. And we've, we've managed to find a way to turn that into the most useful material on earth that can be used for everything and is ubiquitous, but we see it as cheap. And so we're very flimsy with it. So particularly with plastic in future, we've got to stop the, any single use plastic where possible or any single use anything. So it's a very so, international journey that it goes on. 
potentially be. There's quite a lot in this country, but not as much as we import. We import far more materials than we can manufacture in this country. But it's uh, not getting sent to China, where a lot of plastic used to be sent from this country and a lot of places. It does stay as close as possible, turned into something, probably another bottle, but potentially some AstroTurf or a the England football kit is all made out of plastic bottles and things like that. A lot of clothing now. I saw something that Greenpeace had put out that was rubbish is being sent from the UK to Turkey. Is that mm. something that you've seen happening or that you're aware of? Yeah, well, what will sometimes happen in the waste industry is that certain places will stop buying. So it happened with China. They stopped buying from overseas. And if you are reliant on selling a lot to them, then there is this big panic suddenly where everyone's like, oh God, where are we? And then the, the remaining sellers are inundated with people offering them, buyers rather, are inundated with offers. And there is a bit of a scramble and, and plastic does get wasted. That didn't happen to us with China because we weren't saying anything to China. And with Turkey, it is becoming a problem because of this Greenpeace report. We're realising so much of it isn't being dealt with um, uh, safely and it's damaging their local environment. And it does seem very unfair to, to tip your waste and give it to someone else and make it their problem so i think people are trying to stop it we don't send anything to turkey as, as a result we did we sent very little there to be honest we only sent the the bags that there are recycling sacks because it was the only place that would take those to reprocess them we we make those into new recycling sacks but we haven't been doing that and so yes there at the moment we're we're looking for buyers again so there was all these these things happen as well another one of the issues with the recycling is that the industry can shift and change very quickly and certain materials that everyone wants suddenly can disappear like tetra pack was a lot of investment in that and the machinery to separate those and then people didn't like the materials at the end of it so stop buying it and so suddenly all these people had spent millions and millions on all this equipment to sort it just left so now as a result people are very very cautious and especially now when it's a very changeable industry the big push is on retailers to stop making it so complicated and having all these different brands having a different type of plastic bottle is ridiculous and so they're going to make it i think so hopefully this fingers crossed that there's more of a standardization so that all those companies if they do have to use bottles have to use the same type of bottle and they can rebrand it with printing but you have to use the same material in the same dimensions because mm -hmm. at the moment it, you're fighting a losing battle really you mentioned a few of the challenges with recycling and waste disposal specifically for Western Riverside Waste Authority. What kind of challenges have you come up against? And also, has COVID affected how you can operate at all? There's a lot of different challenges. Contamination is a big challenge because that was as high as 20% of what we were given was the wrong thing or contaminated with food waste, which is a lot when you, we're getting thousands of tonnes over the space of a week and things. So it adds up. That's come down dramatically as people learn a lot more about what does and doesn't go in the recycling and cleaning out. We're getting closer to that now where just everyone knows you do need to clean out, you do need to do this. The challenges in COVID were less affected to us in terms of what we were getting and particularly with staff, like everyone, frontline staff, but they did really well. And they, they to be honest, because it's a waste industry, it's already geared towards being extra hygienic for the staff because of the nature of it. They're around waste. So there's hand sanitizers everywhere. Everyone was wearing masks anyway and things. So we were ready to carry on. The big problem was finding drivers and we were just very understaffed with drivers, but we just about managed it. That, that does highlight the problem, though, with the waste industry is that it's so close to breaking point at all times because of the amounts we're getting. 1,000 tonnes a day of general waste and 350 tonnes a day of uh, recycling. It's just not sustainable if there is a one of the sites closes down or breaks down and things like that. There are all these sort of repercussions. So waste, we just need to bring it down to a much more manageable level again. And that will happen as we reduce a lot of the unnecessary waste. I think we just, I think we've all discovered in COVID how sometimes with certain things, how we were only just coping with really, and the slightest disruption can cause a lot of problems. 
with supply chain in particular. But what we need to do is slow down really as well in the pace of life. Waste goes up when the pace of life gets quicker and so does carbon footprints and things like that. And actually that's one of the good things about COVID is, is that it's forced people to slow down a bit and realise, oh, it's actually quite nice to slow down. It's one of the upsides. I think people are realising a slightly slower pace of life isn't a bad thing and our need and obsession for speed and and convenience is a little bit of an addiction and we can do without it it's not it's not as a necessity as we thought it was because going forward if we want to make things more manageable environmentally our services and products have got to be slower more locally sourced probably you know and as a result we're not going to have the amazon next day delivery style culture we do now but that's okay you know you've been talking it's not just about recycling more it's about wasting less so what are the main sort of tips that you might have for anyone wanting to make a positive impact? I mean, I know that it's it's not supposed to be just an individual responsibility, but if someone is thinking yeah. about it, how can they waste less? I really like your phrasing of it then as well, when you said it's not about recycling, more about wasting less. I might steal that as a phrase. <laughs> that is nicely put. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think you're right that we are changing from the individual pressures because we don't want everyone to have this eco-anxiety that we're currently feeling and guilt around it. But there is things we can do, absolutely. And I think that the main thing is around food waste, I guess, of the general waste, because we don't do food waste collections um, across all of our boroughs, we can see how much of general waste is made up of food waste. And it's quite high, it's it's 39%, often as high as that, of our general waste is just food. So in this country, we throw away about a third of the food we buy. And a lot of people think that's on a shop level, but it's most of the waste is on a household level. So that is just bad habits that we've gotten into, mostly pushed by supermarket culture and offers and we just buy too much so little things about getting to the habit of trying to waste less food so we do a lot of work with kids around shopping lists and uh, freezer use and certain recipes you can do and they're just little things but if you can just try that that just have that in your mind as something you're trying to address is just wasting less food because that's not just a waste of it but it's the waste of energy going up to it the amount of energy going into producing food is so high then from a recycling perspective and things like that, it's just about trying to go reusable where possible. And that's just little changes here and there. So trying to get a reusable bottle and reusable coffee cup. And, and they might seem like small changes, but they, they have the biggest saving and um, are just good to get into the habit of as we go forward. And we'll be very adaptable to that because we, we used to have that system previously. So your grandparents will all know about it. That was, that was the standard anyway. So mm. it's just about getting into the mode of thinking that way. In the 70s, it was, um, I think, 95% of us got our sort of our milk delivered to our door. So we were really in the habit of reusable packaging back then and local services. So that's actually in living memory. That's, you know, not very long. So it's, it, we can equally quickly switch right back to those systems. Yeah, I remember getting my like milk delivered in glass bottles. And I don't know when we, we swapped to plastic bottles, but the swap happened at some point. Interesting, actually, tracking it because it's 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 sort of if you use milk as an example it, it sort of charts the the change of our packaging system because it's sort of i don't know when it happened it was in the 90s basically they, de- they deregulated the milk board or deregulated the price of milk so you know you didn't have to sell it all at the same price and then so supermarkets started using it as a, a loss leader to get people in the door so you started saying come to asda because our milk is only this price and they realized people will go go for that you know above anything else and local dairies were saying well we can't sell at that price because we can't so the only people that could sell it were big big 
mass milking uh, monstrosities, you know, these huge mass dairies. And as a result, local dairies died out and it has to be a locally sourced thing because those are little electric floats, they can only go so far. And, and once it became then, glass bottles because they're being shipped around the country are too heavy and the carbon footprint's too high. So you need cheap, lightweight packaging so it becomes plastic, also less breakable. So it's much cheaper for them, less carbon impact for them. So it's just basically, it's the switch from local sourced to mass produced. And we need to go back to local sourced again. Maybe we have mass branded and mass franchised, but it has to be locally sourced and locally manufactured. Because that's the only way to get our carbon footprint back down again. If say the Waste Authority was given unlimited funds, what would be the first change that you know councils or would, or you guys would implement to improve waste disposal? I think it would be little recycling zones everywhere all over London because you know you've got little textile bins around London and little seem often in like a car park of a supermarket where there's like oh there's a battery bin many of those as possible little local points where people can do that rather than you know if you come to Smuggler's Way we've got loads of options of places you can put you know your garden waste and your thing but not everyone can get to the tip and it's quite tricky sometimes and they have that in certain countries that's what they do in Spain for example every street has one of these and they're often very underground and very cleanly kept they do it in Scotland. The problem we have in London is our space, really. We're a bit of a, it's a terrible layout for a modern city. But we've kept, we decided, no, let's let's stick with this old horse and cart layout. Even though we've got lorries and carts. Yes. <laughs> it's tradition. And I think that was a mistake. At the, at the fire of London, there was a choice, like we rebuild the city in a modern way or keep it as it was. And they kept it as it was. And I think from a beauty perspective, that was a great idea. And it was gorgeous and interesting and different. But it's a nightmare from a logistical point of view. So I think some sort of locally sourced as possible so people don't have to make that journey. We don't have to keep sending lorries in. What's a key message that our listeners should take away about waste? I think if you just try and remember the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle, because that order is really important. And to remember recycling is great, but it has its place at the end there after we've tried the other options. I have Elise Gart in studio with me now just to discuss a few of the main points that stood out in the interview that she had with John. Um, Ella, what was something that really struck you about hearing all these facts about how recycling works in London? It was a really interesting conversation because I think that a lot of people during that weekly ritual of sorting out your rubbish, recycling, non-recycling, if your council is one that accepts food waste and garden waste, there's lots of different categories to sort everything. And then magically it disappears at, um, every week. And we don't see it after that. We don't know where it goes. And I think now it's a lot more focused upon lots of different trends of recycled fabrics, recycled bags, recycled materials. And so I think people are beginning to pay more attention. And so I thought that the conversation was going to be purely about, yes, recycling is the best and recycling is really important. But actually what he was really focusing on was the fact that reducing the waste and um, uh, in the first place is the most important thing. Now, sometimes when we talk about these large numbers of waste, it's it's very hard to visualize what they look like. Yeah, I think when, when we're talking about numbers in terms of number of tons of waste and tons of recycling, it's quite difficult to actually visualize it. Now, in terms of actual sort of something that people will be able to recognize, a thousand tons of general waste is uh, in double-decker buses, it's over 79 double-decker buses. So if you put the waste that those four 
areas produced. So that's Kensington, Hammersmith and Fulham and Wandsworth. And um, they produce enough waste every day to, to line up 79 double-decker buses across 10 football pitches. So that's end-to-end, like that's how, that's just in one day. And then if you put the recycling in the same framework, it's 350 tonnes a day. And that would be um, just over 28, I believe, double-decker buses and f- across four football pitches. And so even though it's great that we're recycling so much, it's a huge amount of energy and it's still got a big carbon footprint to actually change um, a bottle into clothing or something and transport it to the factory that has that specific machine. So that's something that was really food for thought that we can't just keep on giving ourselves a pat on the back and sort of saying, yes, I recycle, I'm a good person. Yeah, I didn't realise how much of an international journey that our rubbish from Southwest London goes on and then also how many people, how many businesses are involved on each step, at each step of the way. And I think that a lot of councils still don't have food waste recycling or garden waste recycling. There's been a lot of disruption recently with, uh, you know, the pandemic and lots of drivers not being able to come to work and having to isolate. So then it's that first step of when things go a bit awry that the rubbish is going to start piling up on the streets and things like that so it's the very very mundane things of you know the bin men coming to collect your bins and stuff can actually really show local government in action and what their priorities are and I think that the changes as we go forward like we are recycling more contamination is less of an issue you know you're not going to have one dirty yogurt pot ruin a whole van load of recycling as much anymore which is great but I do think that it was a very illuminating conversation in terms of all right so we can recycle and we can do all of these good things but until uh, retailers and, and until there are big changes on laws specifically I think it just needs to be more efficient I think there's so much work that's being done by you know the Western Riverside Waste Authority by the South London Waste Partnership other people other um, key workers in the chain but it, I think it needs to be much more joined up. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us Ella. This is actually a great point to segue into our next interview with Green London Assembly member Zach Polanski, which was carried out by our reporter Marta Santavenias. He also talks about this lack of efficiency across councils. I think one of the biggest problems we have in London right now is the lack of joined up thinking. So depending on where you live in London and sometimes, you know, just from one street from one borough to the next, some things will be recyclable and some things won't. So, for instance, um, in Bexley, you can cycle uh, bike towers, but you can't in Brent. Or I think in um, Hackney, you can um, recycle foil, but you can't in Hammersmith. And I could keep going on with examples. Now, it's slightly complicated because the Mayor of London doesn't control the council. They're separate entities. But one thing the Mayor could do in future is to show some leadership on this and to get everyone together and to host essentially a summit or to start talking to councils to say, let's have a more joined up thinking approach on this. And too often, I think the focus is on recycling, whereas actually it could be on even earlier on the waste cycle. So making sure we're reducing less, that we're repairing, and that we're also reusing. Welcome to the studio, Marta. Can you tell me a bit more about Zach and what the London Assembly does? Thanks, Shosha. Of of course I can tell you. So the Greater London Authority, uh, which is known as the GLA, is an elected body that scrutinizes the mayor's work. 
And Zach Polanski is, is one of the Green Party Assembly members. I mean, it's it's quite funny because Zach and I actually met on election day back in May, um, but I don't think he remembered me. But I was very grateful for his time for Local Matters because he's a really fresh voice in our local politics. I mean, he's only been in the Assembly for about three months now. And I think what he narrows down into is quite interesting because he is highlighting that tension between the mayor and the GLA and the councils and then obviously ourselves. And what I found fascinating is that rather than making citizens directly responsible for not recycling properly or enough, Zach is taking a step back and saying, well, it's not just that we need to be mindful of recycling properly. It's not just that we need to, you know, clean up that yogurt bar before we put it in the trash. What we actually need to do is reduce the amount of waste we are producing. As a citizen, it's all of our responsibilities to look at what do we have in our household? How can we reduce it? How can we consume less? How can we recycle more? All of those things I think we can all take individual responsibility for. That will encourage companies to start changing their practice. However, I want to be very, really clear here that individual responsibility can only take us so far. And this is about the much bigger holistic systemic change. And that has to be the responsibility of people like me on the London Assembly and, of course, our London Mayor. Now, the London Mayor has a trickiness here because he's only responsible for very specific aspects of things that happen in London. Policing, housing, transport and the environment. Now, of course, this does link in with the environment and he has a London environment strategy where he pledges the thing that he wants to do. And it's it's up to me as environment chair, for instance to scrutinize him on those things. And however, there's another piece here, which is that's the hard power. So that's the things that we vote on in the legislation. The mayor of London or any politician has soft power here, which is essentially a platform to be able to speak about things like on this podcast or indeed on TV or radio or wherever we are, to speak to the public as essentially an education awareness piece, but also to be listening to what the public want. And I think when you've got an elected mandate, There doesn't always need to be the hard power to say, yes, we have these specific measures in place to be able to do this. Sometimes it's about showing leadership and being able to campaign on these things. I'm glad that Zach addresses the limits to individual responsibility as well, as although it's important to reduce your waste and important to like actively participate, I sometimes feel like this is overplayed and that the mayor's responsibility is almost underplayed. His point on soft power is also really interesting. Could you go into this a bit more for me? So... I think what Sack is getting into is the fact that politicians have a certain level of, of legislative power that is things they can make policy on, like actually collecting your trash, um, which, by the way, I think is worth reminding our listeners again that, that this is actually done by the council, not by the mayor. But then as a public figure, someone like Sadiq Khan has a platform that can't be understated. Like most people in this country know who the mayor of London is. And whenever he speaks, most of us listen. He makes headlines, he's on front pages. We know him. And that's a form of power too. Taking it one step further, just to round it off, I know we're talking about local matters, but central government decisions obviously filter down and affect us too. Yes, of course. And in this case, it's not just the central government, but also decisions made by international committees too. And this is something that SAG addresses in terms of leadership, because the UK plays a huge role as a member of the international community when it comes to waste collection, recycling and environmental issues. So while I'm quite difficult on the mayor sometimes, I totally accept that he's in a difficult bind where government are putting him in difficult spots. There are things he can do, as I've talked about in this interview, but I accept that a lot of those things could change at a national government level and we could have this national government response. 
I think COP26 is a huge moment. It's happening in you know just over 90 days now. This is the conference of the parties where lots of world leaders are getting together and talking about how can we deal with the climate emergency. Um, and the UK needs to show real leadership on this. And this is where Alex Sharma as um, COP president um, and Boris Johnson as prime minister could decide that actually this is the year, this is the moment where the UK doesn't keep saying, oh, this is other people's problems and we'll do our little bit, but actually China needs to step up or Russia needs to step up. But actually we say, yes, other countries need to step up, but we're going to show leadership by stepping up. We're going to hit some real waste targets. We're going to put some real pressure on private companies to say that if you don't meet these you know, targets or these um, codes of conduct or standard, standards, we're going to strongly condemn that. In fact, we're going to change regulation and make it happen that companies can't use single waste plastic, for instance. And the government could really be taking huge action on that. And what I'm pleased about is they're starting to say the right words. That's at least a step in the right direction. Previously, you know, they just called it um, green stuff or green crap, I think is what David Cameron called it. And so at least they're saying the right things, but that is not nearly enough. And we can't be greenwashed by accepting platitudes. We absolutely need to be saying all the time, what specific action are you going to take on this? When are you going to take, take this uh, action? And then making sure that we're holding them to account. With that, we conclude this episode in Recycling in Your Borough. What's clear is that the steps leading up to disposing of your waste are in many ways far more important than the end of just throwing it away for recycling, because even the recycling process is energy consuming. Yes, so reducing and reusing is really important. But at the same time, the system is under a lot of strain and COVID seems to have been a breaking point in many ways. The lack of communication across councils and a lack of efficiency within the councils is something that really needs to be addressed. This is where it becomes really important for us to hold our council representatives and the mayor to account and make sure that they reach these ambitious targets that they keep setting. Anyway... That's all we've got time for for today. So thank you to John and Zach for taking the time to delve into this for Local Matters. And Southwest Londoner reporters Magda and Ella. We hope this has shed some light on the topics that matter to you. Thank you for tuning in. Mm-hmm.